This podcast is being recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and acknowledge their ongoing connections with land, waters and culture. Colonisation and genocide are ongoing processes that are still happening today. Sovereignty was never ceded and this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Hey everybody and welcome back to Ozpol Snackpod, the podcast that's kind of like prunes. It's your shortcut to shitposts. That's right, it's the show where two of Australia's foremost political nobodies bring you bite-sized chunks of Australian... God damn it, Dante. <laughs> Australian news and politics with a side of crispy memes. We are also the official podcast of the Ozpol Shitposting Facebook group, which you should check out if you like Ozpol and shitposting. My name is Zach Snack, and with me as always is my co-host. It's me, it's noon. Welcome back, Zach. Thanks, bud. Good to be back. It is. Definitely uh, plenty of news this week. So much news. We cut so many stories, and I think a lot of our stories that we kept are going to be longer than Very we long. thought. So, yeah. Uh, Chat Dad, hope you're, you've got extra lawns to mow this week. Yeah. P- potentially strap in for a bumper one. I mean, you'll know. You know how long the episode is. It tells yeah. you. Yeah. Uh, before we kick off, big thank you to our new patrons, Chris, Mason, and Nico. Thank you so much for signing up. And also thank you to Lachlan, our shadowy financier, who uh, upped his contribution as well. So thank you very much uh, to those people. If you want to help the show out financially, you can do it over on patreon.com slash Snackpod for as little as $1 a month. You get a monthly bonus episode plus other stuff, and it helps us pay to keep the show running. We do transcripts. It helps us pay for the podcast hosting, the website hosting. All, all these kinds of stuff. And uh, just uh, while I'm shilling up the top here, mm-hmm. um, if you haven't done so, go drop us a review over on Apple Podcasts. Yeah. Uh, give us your five stars. Write a couple words about why we're cool. We would love that. We'd appreciate that. It's really that. nice. It's yeah. one of our favorite things. Uh, but that's probably enough bullshit. I reckon we can dive into the news. What do you reckon, Noon? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's do it. Can I offer you one of these, sir? No, no. Take it away at once. So this is the segment where we talk about stories just briefly that we're not going into too much detail about, allegedly. Uh, so first up, there's a uh, a corruption probe in Queensland. It's an inquiry into the Queensland Crime and Corruption Commission. That's the CCC. Uh, and Wiki says the CCC was ah, created... Who inquires the inquirers? Well, quite so, yeah. <laughs> Uh, The CCC was created to combat and reduce the incidence of major crime and to continuously improve the integrity of and to reduce the incidence of misconduct in the Queensland public sector. Sure. So that's going well. Oh, great. Yeah, so the CCC came out of the Fitzgerald Inquiry. It's called that because it was run by a guy called Tony Fitzgerald, who's a former judge. It was an investigation into corruption in the Queensland government and police. It ran from 1987 to 1989. And it resulted in the resignation of the Premier, Joe Bjelke-Peterson, the calling of two by-elections, the jailing of three former ministers, and the police commissioner who also lost his knighthood. And it was a major (laughs) reason for the end of the National Party's 32-year run as the government in Queensland. Um, so it was so pretty this impactful. Got a pretty good track record. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Um, Fitzgerald set a precedent for commissions of inquiry and royal commissions in Australia generally, using innovative methods such as indemnities from prosecution for key witnesses to secure vital evidence. The inquiry was initially expected to last about six weeks. It instead spent almost two years conducting a comprehensive investigation of long-term systematic political corruption and abuse of power in Queensland. Yeah. So it was basically the royal commission is one of the most 
important events in at least Queensland political history and possibly a contender for that title in Australian political history, like, you know, post-colonial Australian history. Um, so anyway, that's what happened in the 80s. Cut back to now, Tony Fitzgerald has been appointed to investigate the CCC, which was set up specifically to deal <laughs> with the things that he exposed in the 80s. I don't, like, if you are any one of the people under investigation at this point, you are <laughs> shitting yourself. Totally. Am I yeah. about to lose my fucking knighthood? Yeah. Again? <laughs> I only just got out of jail for the last one. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, I really got to stop doing corruption. <laughs> well, if they get Tony Fitzgerald to tell me that... Oh, no. <laughs> um. So, yeah, this new inquiry is happening because the Queensland... Parliamentary Crime and Corruption Committee. So, of course, that's the PCCC. Yes. Not to be you. confused with the CCC. With the CCC. Completely yeah. different, unrelated organization. Or the CCCP, which is no, no, yet again yeah, a different thing. Quite different. There's going to be another CCC later in the show, so just sit on this one. Keep yeah. your eyes <laughs> peeled for that one. Yeah, and so the main reason for this, there's actually a bunch um, that they, they've been kind of shit in a variety of ways for a while. But the big ticket item, again, aperitif, uh, is that the CCC essentially unelected an entire council by arresting them all. Um, so okay. they charged them all with corruption, meaning that all of them had to stand down from council, meaning mm. that everyone who got elected to council, including the mayor, was no longer on the council. Mm. Two years later, recently, uh, the charges were thrown out of court um, because there was no evidence. Um, the councillors say that they were cleared of wrongdoing. I'm not sure that's how courts work. Um, and at least one of them is fault facing multiple other criminal charges. Uh -huh. I mean, so, you know, <laughs> local council members, like, just a, because like you didn't get criminally you know? <laughs> convicted of fucking corruption doesn't mean you're not corrupt. I mean, exactly. Let's, yeah, let's yeah, not, yeah. Let's not they, lose our They threw it out because there's no evidence, not because they <laughs> definitely were innocent. <laughs> but, you know, innocent until proven guilty, whatever. Sure, um, sure. Except for councillors. Yeah. So um, <laughs> everyone, but especially the opposition, is mad that the CCC threw out a council um, pretty much just for fun. Mm. Um, and so now this inquiry has been called. Uh, and the head of the CCC resigned and a, yeah, a bunch of other bullshit. But um, yeah, they, they basically like cooed a council. <laughs> I guess it's funny that they kicked a whole bunch of people off the council accusing them of corruption and then that was thrown out and now they're getting accused of corruption. Cor corruptly and investigating corruption. Yeah. The beautiful cycle of Queensland politics perpetuates itself into the future exactly yeah and you know first time is tragedy the second is farce you know um fitzgerald <laughs> is back again um see what happens i guess anyway that's the append uh, end of aperitif one um aperitif oh great i'm i'm like you know i've got room for one more entree if you've got something yeah, lying around something you can whip up mm -hmm. yeah yeah well, alleged war hero Ben Robert Smith has been having a bad week. Uh, <laughs> that's what it was. When I was doing my Ben Robert Smith update last week, I was trying to remember, what is that funny thing that Noon always says about it? I'm glad and you like my joke. Wrote, I think I just wrote down war crimes guy. And I, was like, <laughs> I think you right. did, and I was like, ah, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm glad we're friends, Zach. Your one is better. Your one is better. Um, uh, what's alleged war hero Ben Robert Smith been Mr. Yeah. Beaning himself into this so, time? As you know, Zach, he's been suing the nine Fairfax papers and the Canberra Times for defamation because they published stories alleging A, war crimes, B, bullying, and C, domestic violence. 
Um, however, he's Barbara Streisanded himself. Mm. You know the Barbara Streisand, the Streisand effect. effect. Yep. Want to tell our listeners in case they can't be bothered Urban Dictionarying it? Yeah, I think she sued uh, like a newspaper photographer for either publishing a photo of her of her house or yeah. publishing her address. But then, and, but like nobody actually saw the thing she was suing the person over until she sued them for it, and then everybody was like, "Hey." This should be one of the most viewed images on the internet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, So, uh, yeah, this defamation trial to prove he definitely didn't do war crimes, bullying, and domestic violence. Unsurprisingly, the journalists have got a bunch of witnesses who said Mm. that he actually did way more war crimes than Than what the papers reported. Yeah. 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 Um, This is the thing about being an alleged war hero. There's just... (laughs) There's there's always another heroic act. That's right. Well, maybe there's one less heroic act than we thought, because one witness said that not him, but other people in his squad thought that, quote, BRS wasn't deserving of the Victoria Cross and the events leading up to that were falsified. So maybe not that particular heroic event, but the other ones, yeah. So for example, what we've heard this week, um, Ben Robert Smith told another SAS soldier to shoot a captive who was unarmed and bound. Uh, he told an Afghan soldier to shoot an unarmed man via an interpreter, or, quote, or I will do it, um, oh. and that someone who was probably Ben Robert Smith, but was hard to tell because he was wearing camo face paint, but it was the sort of camo face paint that Ben Robert Smith like, and also he was holding a machine gun that was very easily identifiable as Ben Robert Smith's favorite gun, shot the man with the prosthetic leg that has featured heavily in this reporting so this guy is such a fucking monster just the absolute it's... worst yeah yeah it's yeah mind bend- mind bending yep um there's been a bunch of really gross shit from his lawyers basically the one of the soldiers who was like yep i saw him shoot this unarmed man the lawyer was like you felt like you were a coward and unable to do you know the soldier shit right and he was like uh no, I don't think I ever said that. He's like, and it's because you're such a coward and couldn't do soldier shit that you made up this nonsense about Ben Robert Smith, right? It's fully falsified, right? And he's like, no. Um, the, the the kind of classy stuff you'd expect from people defending a war hero, a massive, yeah. enormous war hero, yeah, like Ben Robert Smith. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, hope that's enough to whet your appetite before we get into the uh, the real news, which I'm sure will be much more enjoyable than uh, well. This. Real news is perhaps a generous term, but nevertheless. Cookwatch! Uh, it's Cookwatch. Let's check in on the cookers. What have they been up to this week? Well, they're in Canberra. Boy, are they in Canberra. Oh, I yeah. don't think that I can do justice to the, like, total chaos of this story. Um... I kind of like tried to pull something coherent together for this like 10 minute segment. Um, uh, There's a deeply disorganized bunch of people doing the loudest and silliest things that they can think of. So it's, it doesn't have a coherent narrative. Yeah. And there's not like a great deal of establishment media reporting on this. Mm -hmm, Definitely mm -hmm. not stuff that sort of is doing a good job of encompassing uh, like, yeah, the whole situation. Cause it's kind of been long and drawn out, but I have pulled a lot of info for this story from uh, a few people on Twitter who've been um, following it really closely. I want to send a shout out to What's Doing Media, SOS149, and a big special thanks to Celery Sorbet 
who helped me out with some um, requests for extra information for this story. So definitely go and check out those three people on Twitter if you want to get, um, yeah, basically up to the minute updates on what the cookers are up to. Nice. Um, so yeah, we're going to be talking about the convoy to Canberra, aka the Millions March against mandatory vaccinations, which is this big anti-vax cooker, sovsit melting pot protest situation that's happening okay. uh, in the capital at the moment. So I guess a bit of background, this was inspired by uh, a protest carried out by Canadian truck drivers mm-hmm. um, over the past week or so. Um, they're protesting against uh, vaccine mandates for truck drivers who were returning from the US to Canada. Either they had, you know, Either you had to have a vaccination or you had to quarantine. Okay. Uh, for two weeks and so a bunch of them basically drove their trucks uh, into ottawa and just shut the whole city down for a few days um and caused yeah a big ruckus their numbers are now dwindling it's still kind of ongoing uh but there's also kind of lots of evidence that they were being funded and organized by people from back in the united states which is mm-hmm. this is my shocked face so anyway cookers here in australia saw that and thought that it looked like a great idea. Yep. Um, you know, previously we've dressed up as teachers, nurses, tradies, veterans, and indigenous people. So why not truckers? Mm-hmm. Why not let's uh, you know add another costume to the collection? Um, so, as with all cooker shit, as mentioned, it's a complete mess. Um, so to definitively say that it's being led by one person or group or whatever is, you're gonna always have to have big caveats on that, I guess. You might but- say it's rhizomatic. Sorry, go on. <laughs> It's a fairly rhizomatic sort of protest movement, I would say, Noon. Fascism yeah. of the potato. That's a I'm deep gonna... cut for my Deleuze fans out there, but go on. <laughs> I actually watched a video about Deleuze being explained via drum machines the other day, so I know what you mean now. Um, thanks, YouTube. Um, <laughs> but yes, I think that even though you know you, co- you couldn't put, pin down one person or group you know, who's definitively leading the whole thing we can definitely say who was attempting to grift off it the hardest okay uh and in this case it's a western australian leaders than at least like floaters yeah so yeah then... definitely floater energy um this particular floater is a guy called james greer who is a relatively well-known western australian doomsday prepper nice um he seems to go by the moniker ironbark thunderbolt um online cool. Which there was, it, it sort of wasn't clear for a while whether or not they were the same person, but I think it's now clear that they are. Basically, Ironbark Thunderbolt was the person who set up the GoFundMe because, of course, every cooker protest has to have a GoFundMe. A GoFundMe, yeah. Uh, James Greer was the sole beneficiary of the GoFundMe, so right. this is my brain furiously working over, um, doing some quick maths, trying to figure out, hmm. Who uh, what could the connection the between these yeah. two very different people be? So, yeah, so this, the, the GoFundMe was set up by this bloke, and which, every, as I say, you know, there's always a, an attendant grift. The idea with this one was like it would be funds to support people who took part in the convoy, so paying for fuel costs and food and other stuff that you need when you have, you know, thousands of cars yep. and people rocking yep. up at the same place. So, and we'll come back to that. But so the idea was that. The various convoys of people would set off from cities around the country. They would all rock up to Canberra and then something, something. Um, sure, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then we'll the win. Then yeah, and then, and then we'll win, and then it'll be no more vaccines, and uh, we're not gonna take it, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Uh, you know, overthrow the government, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, yeah, they didn't end up actually successfully doing any kind of gridlock for the most part because they didn't have any trucks. Uh-huh. Um, because it's also, not a tr- 
truck drivers protest really they had a couple trucks but not like i mean the, the canadian when you look at it and it's like yeah there's literally truck hundreds of fucking truck. trucks yeah, then, yeah like yeah just parked in the middle of the city which is really gonna fuck shit up here you've just you know it's a lot of kind of sedans or like gray nomad camper vans camper sort of falling it's apart a lot of bridges a lot of roundabouts you know you can you can it's get, an eminently drivable city get places cyclable even if, if the roads are kind of yeah. half blocked I don't know if cyclists were welcome at the convoy to Canberra, but, uh, I mean, I guess they're probably still on their way. Uh, anyway, so that was the plan. And then, yeah, um, I really have, have this image in my head of, uh, the movie Rat Race. You remember the movie Rat Race? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. yeah except it's, you know, anti-vaxxers <laughs> furiously streaming down the arterial roads of the nation, uh, converging on the capital. You should do that edit. That's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, and the prize is obviously not a huge amount of cash. It's COVID. Um, but so, you know, you have many of the usual suspects involved, uh, neo-Nazi Harrison McLean, who was behind uh, some of the bigger Melbourne anti-vax protests, the various citizen journalists that we all know and love, like Avi, Rukshan, uh, Up and Comer, the Aussie Cossack. And then many of your crustier, more deep-cut sovereign citizen types who, if you are, like, neck deep in that kind of internet weirdness... You'd be like, oh, hey, it's that <laughs> fucking guy. I haven't seen him since he did a whiteboard presentation on how to get out of speeding tickets in yep. 2012. Yep. Um, yes. <laughs> and so they're all rat racing down towards Canberra. And uh, after one day, there were already two serious car accidents involving the convoys, including one where the lead car from the convoy was completely written off. There were cars getting towed. Uh, you know, rat race energy. So um, I said when we were planning the show, Zach, that I have a hot take about driving and you laughed a lot and said that you were looking forward to making fun of me for it. But I will just say <laughs> this is a hot take I was given, I've taken wholesale from one of our shadowy financiers and I'm, I'm replicating, you know, that's the sort of inside treatment you get when you're a shadowy financier. <laughs> you, you tell me what to say and then I shill for it. But right, hit us. Driving is one of the things that on average people are extraordinarily good at. Like, the average person probably drives more than they practice essentially any other skill um, over the course of mm. their lifetime or whatever. Mm -hmm. And, like, um, that's true of pretty much everyone on the road. And although the road toll and crash rate is actually very high, um, pedestrians should wear helmets, um, but uh, it's way lower than you might think, you know? Like, it, it, it like definitely compared 99.5% of the time... No problems occur. Mm. So it's definitely one. It's it's definitely one of the most like life threatening, dangerous activities that normal people carry out on a day to day basis without dying or being severely <laughs> injured on it. Yeah. yeah. The other um, one, of course, being walking near cars. Yeah. Which, yes. Uh, my point being that for this very small sample of people to have been in so many accidents <laughs> in such a short period of time, they have to be drastically worse at driving than the general population. Well, it's been pointed out by many people on Twitter that many of them are furiously telegramming of course. Uh, while they're yes. driving, which is, yes. which is, of course, um, going to reduce your capacity. Um, I also think there's a nice little synecdoche here in the way that you've kind of derailed my segment to talk about your own tangent that is cool. like, 
very indicative of the vibe of these protests. It's just like some <laughs> random asshole gets on the megaphone and is like, you know the thing about cars? Everyone's like, I thought we were anti-vaxxing. What's the... But like, we're here now. <laughs> like, go and there's it. a lot yeah. of that going on. And that made it sound like I didn't appreciate your tangent, which which I did. Great. I love any anti kind of anti-driving rhetoric. Um, <laughs> that was pro-driving rhetoric. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about, man. I'm impressed with people's driving ability. That's all I'm saying. People are fucking useless at absolutely everything and somehow manage to regularly not die while driving. That's amazing. These guys, worse than that. Yeah, we're not looking at a statistically large enough group of drivers for that to account for how many car crashes they're having. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yes. So eventually the cookers, they do rock up to Canberra, the ones of them that didn't ride off their cars on the way. They set up camp, and over the next few days, they set about causing trouble uh, like only cookers can. Uh, They did some protesting outside of the National Press Club, which sounds like this. They did some protesting outside of Parliament House, which sounds like this. With uh, ordinary Aussies just trying to... uh, Get their freedoms back. And it was at that Parliament House protest that several uh, actual explicit uh, fascists were seen, including a bunch of Proud Boys with their upside down Australian flags. Um, so, gives you a sense of the vibe, I guess, mm, of mm-hmm. the, you know, it's sort of like, yeah, it was a cooker festival. Everyone's yep. camped out, Cooking you know. Up. Shitting in the bush, I guess. Um, <laughs> if you're lucky. Yeah, if you're lucky. Uh, anyway, so yeah, predictably enough, the cops move in pretty quickly. They start breaking up the camp, leading to typically horrible scenes of arrests. Uh, one moment where cops were caught on camera congratulating each other after pepper spraying people, which was, you know... <laughs> Bad. There's not nothing can make me feel sympathy for yeah. an anti-vax cooker quicker than cops getting involved. Yep. Um, yes, and in amongst all this mess... James Greer, lead floater, mm-hmm. is arrested uh, because they found a loaded rifle in his car, which mm-hmm. I believe is dated from the year fucking like 1884. That's it seriously looks fuck, like man. a prop. Yeah, it's very like, it's Barry yeah, Lyndon. terrifying shit. It's, it's giving Master and Commander. It's got this mm-hmm, little mm-hmm. like bit of wrought iron like decoration on the butt, which is like rusty. And yeah, it was loaded with one bullet. So anyway, I mean, look. It's bad and also, and scary that these people have loaded guns. Just, But it's the most embarrassing possible way to have a loaded gun at that yeah. test. And I think it's more likely than not that if it was fired, it would just kind of like fizz or, you know, hurt James Him. himself more than anyone else. Yeah. Anyway, next thing that happened was, perhaps unsurprisingly, the GoFundMe was shut down. Uh, because the organizers couldn't demonstrate to GoFundMe how they planned to spend the money, which is... Perhaps also equally unsurprisingly, the exact same thing that happened in Canada, except they raised about ten million dollars via GoFundMe. Uh, and just and they- chuck together a quick budget. You've got ten million there. Spend an afternoon writing a disbursement plan that that you presumably will never have to show that you've done. Yeah, well, they they managed to get access to one million dollars of it in Canada um, by telling GoFundMe we're going to give reimburse people for fuel. Um, and that's, you know, kind of seems to have happened on a smaller scale here. Uh, the Australian GoFundMe wrote, raised about $180,000. That's a solid um, effort. 
which yeah, it's, that's a fucking big fundraiser. Uh, they got managed to get access to about fourteen thousand dollars of it before it was frozen. So the rest of that money is just going to get refunded to the people who donated, as I understand it. Man, do you want to do a grift GoFundMe? We talk every time it comes I up. I know we talk, we it talk just about seems it. like there's no downside. Well, except like living with myself. Yeah. Um. Um. Luckily, which I have to do to anyway. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, it doesn't seem to be a problem for these people. No. Um. Yeah. I mean, so it is hilarious, but it is also kind of sad because, like, you know, I mean, one hundred eighty thousand dollars—that's a lot of people getting sucked in, right? Yeah. Um. On a donation level, let alone the people, and you know, and that money was really was supposed to be going to reimbursing right these cookers, the other people who were going, yeah, who essentially just like upped and left their lives, you know. Like, j- just taking a random road trip across mm-hmm. three states is not something that you can do and not suffer any kind of logistical consequence in your life. You know, and a lot of them are there with their kids and a disturbing amount of children at this, mm. these things. And, yeah, anyway, um, their numbers are now down. There was a sizable squad marching on Old Parliament House today, which, like, geez, that building just um, can't catch a break. Um, but, yeah, I mean... How to sum up what's going on here, what to take from this. Hard to say. You know, I mean, obviously their direct demands, if you could even call them that, have obviously not been met. You know, vaccine mandates aren't... The the government hasn't cancelled them in the last uh, two hours, as far as I'm aware. Um, You know, again, we sort of have to return to this question of like, what's going to happen to all of this political energy? I mean, that's mm-hmm. a lot of fucking people that got mobilized really quickly to do something really high value, yeah. you know? Like, drive interstate and park on a shitty lawn. Yep. Like, so, you know, there is obviously this anti-government sentiment amongst these people, but I don't think that it's so deep and widespread that they won't vote. Right, right, right. You know, ultimately this kind of movement is going to be expressed in some form come election time and i I, you know i don't know if i'm being reductive here but like it seems to me that basically all those votes are just going to strengthen the liberals uh, Mm -hmm. chances because the only people who are in any way positioned to take advantage of this stuff are the pre-existing far-right parties pauline hansen's one nation and these guys obviously Uh, the liberals well and the united australia party of course who only ever really exist to funnel votes to the liberals in the first place. Right. So yeah, once it all comes out in the wash and the preferences shake out, like, you know, these revolutionaries ultimately are just going to be voting Vote for, the for the incumbent government. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I it's, it's quite funny. It's funny and it's also fucking depressing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's anyway, lucky I don't have any faith left in the electoral process. No, so that might be kind of that upsetting. That could be devastating. But, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, warning to our listeners for a few seconds ago. All right. Uh, thanks for taking us through that um, confusing and upsetting morass of bullshit. Um, yeah, like I said, there's a lot that I wasn't able to touch on. I would yeah. recommend going and diving into it deeper on Twitter if you've got the time and the stomach. Uh, but yes, shall we? Yes. Shit post of the week. I'm excited about this shit post, Zach. It is <laughs> I'm glad innovative and agile. All right. And and it bodes well for the future because um, this is a post. Uh, listeners, if you're new, the, we try to get shit posts from Ozpol Shitposting, which is the Facebook group of which we are the official podcast. So if you want to get your memes 
shouted out on the show, go there and post them. And that's exactly what this person did. Uh, their Facebook name is Zach and Harry the Mathematicians. Um, is written <laughs> in the first person singular, so I'm just going to treat it as one person named Zach and Harry. Um, and they said this, Hello, it's my first post, so please pretend to laugh or at least pretend to understand my meme. Great opener. <laughs> Image description, which is a great follow-up because we have to read this shit out loud and we yep. always do a terrible job. So I've got Zach and Harry's image description here. A miffed-looking Richard Colbeck sits in an office cubicle. White text is overlaid reading, I was told there would be portfolio, portfolio balance. <laughs> the words portfolio, portfolio sit above the crossed-out words work-life. <laughs> would be. I was told there would be work-life balance, but it says portfolio, portfolio balance. Yeah. So I... <laughs> I, I did pretend to understand the meme, and then I actually looked it up, um, and it's a great story. Um, so Richard Colbeck, he's a federal liberal senator for Tasmania, and mm-hmm. sadly, another member of our parliament who's a chronic sufferer of just some guy disease. Um, but he's made a play for recognition as a true classic of Australian political life, because he holds two portfolios the Minister for Senior Australians and Aged Care, and the Minister for Sport. Just casting my mind back over the last few years, aged care, I think everything's been going well. So presumably he's an excellent and sensible minister. Um, this is So we must surmise. This is from the ABC. Richard Colbeck declined a request to attend the Senate Select Committee on COVID-19, along with health department officials on January 14th, saying he was busy dealing with the Omicron outbreak. Okay, there's a COVID committee hearing that he's uh, needs to be at he's busy dealing with omicron fair enough however he actually went to the ashes um and a bunch of people got angry about this and he defended himself in several ways one a labor mp went to the ashes two i've actually done quite a lot of work this week um (laughs) three the aged care sector is performing quote extremely well Uh... and four and this is the one that the meme is about the test match in Hobart was a significant event for Tasmania, and as Minister for Sport, I had to be conscious of that as an issue, wow. he said. All through that weekend, I continued to work on matters in both portfolios. So, <laughs> This yeah. man is doing portfolio, portfolio balance like nobody like in the a, business a right pro. now. a pro, yeah. This is some, like, uh, George Christensen attending parliament levels of um, competency. Yeah. Jesus Christ. I mean... To be fair to Richard Colbeck, it's not hard to imagine him completely fucking up his <laughs> responsibilities as aged care minister whilst also watching the sport. Like He could do both at once. He, There's he no need to focus on it. I if this fully is believe that he could do both at once. <laughs> Zero negative like deterioration in quality of his work. That's a good point. Anyway, look, Zach and Harry... Um, good job on your incredible first post ever. Really good um, that's first post, first shit post of the week. That's a 100% conversion ratio. That's literally the best Damn. in the business. Let's keep it up. Um, so continue to bring your, your A game. All right, what do we got? What do we got up next, Zach? Oh, I'll tell ya. You fucked up. Oh, no. Uh, yes. Uh, not you. Um, oh, good. <laughs> uh, so. The Morrison government has been on some Mean Girls shit all week. People probably know about this. Um, it started earlier in the week when Peter Van Onselen, a uh, massive flaming bag of shit, yeah. was desperate to distract everyone from the fact that uh, his career is going you know, in a again, fucking tailspin. 
firing bag a bag of shit. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, so he hit Scott Morrison with this at a press conference. I've been provided with a text message exchange between the former New South Wales Premier mm-hmm. and a current Liberal Cabinet Minister. I've got them right here. In one, she describes you as, quote, a horrible, horrible person, going on to say she did not trust you and you're more concerned with politics than people. The Minister is even more scathing, describing you as a fraud and, quote, a complete psycho. (laughs) You know, which is pretty funny. So to be clear, that was... not not funny. No. Those are texts that were sent to Gladys Berejiklian by an unnamed member of the Federal Cabinet. The texts are apparently from two years ago. Um, So that happened earlier in the week. But you fucked up really has to go to old favourite Barnaby Joyce who had some texts of his own leaked this week. Texts that were, for some obscure reason that I really can't figure out at all, he sent to Brittany Higgins. Yeah. Via someone else because he didn't have a phone number, which is... He was sitting there at some meeting and he's like, I need Brittany to know right now that Scott Morrison uh, sucks. No, I think shit. he sucks. Yeah. yeah. I Fuck knows. Anyway, so these texts are about from about a year ago when Barnaby was still in the naughty corner, a.k.a. Yep. the backbench. Yep. Um, he said this, Scott, is, Scott Morrison is a hypocrite and a liar from my observations, and that is over a long time. I have never trusted him, and I dislike how earnestly he rearranges the truth to a lie. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Sounds about right. Yeah, the, exactly. I mean, the, you know, that all kind of tracks horrible, horrible person, uh, total psycho. Hypocrite, liar, know. rearranges truth. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, none of it is particularly, I guess, surprising. But my no. question to you, Noon, is does it matter? That, do these texts matter, you know? I think there's a chance that generally destabilizing the government and making Morrison look like a giant jerk who everyone hates will have an impact on the election. I like, I don't know. Like the kind from, of which from the perspective of like voters outside looking in or from the perspective of like actual, like the, the material results of the destabilization of the internal. No, so, of the party. so probably more donors, right? Being like, man, this guy fucking sucks. Maybe this year I'll give a third as much. Or, Mm -hmm. like, volunteers being like, well, yeah, but he, like, has a stink on him. Maybe I won't volunteer this time round. And and definitely some, like, enlightened centrist kind of voters who are swing voters for some reason. I've never understood why someone would be a swing voter, but they do exist. And, like... (laughs) I think some of them would be like, oh, gosh, this sort of thing is not very proper in a prime minister. It is um, definitely a kind of a puncturing, I suppose, of, of like the ScoMo daggy dad right. image. And I think it's also about like momentum. You know, it, it is relevant that this happened just after the last text message from Berejiklian. And yeah. Berejiklian's very popular for some reason and Barnaby Joyce is very popular for some reason and no one really likes Morrison that much mm. he just like f- maneuvered his way in there so yeah no it's true I, I mean he's never been particularly popular within the he lo- was the least bad option yeah he's never been time. popular within so, the like, party but like I'd say I mean this is more interesting I guess as like an indicator of the mood within the party than like totally what the results of it are going to be yes this is, I mean it's starting to smell a lot like Turnbull in here or right right, even. right. you know the election yep. is approaching the polls are dismal for the libs even though 
don't rely on that information. It's been sure. proven to be very fucking unreliable in the past. But the it libs is the only are information scared. we have. So yeah, but I mean the the other insight we have is are the liberals actively trying to undermine their own leader by leaking the these to texts? Be yes, yeah. and yeah, it seems to be yes. So I mean, you know, that if nothing else is a good yep. sign. Yep. So yeah, well, you know, we'll see. Like, you know. I think probably this is just, uh, as I said, said at the top, I think it's just probably Mean Girls bullshit. I think it's just yep. gossiping no, nonsense. No, I'd say that's probably about right. But it's still funny. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Well, well that's, that's a good lead on to our, yeah, our next thing. Yes, and um, our next segment is a segment for which we don't have a really a locked-in sting yet. Yeah, and this is our election section. Election section. And uh, we asked listeners last time, uh, do you have a better idea for a sting? And one brave, bold listener stood an up. An OG supporter of an the An OG show. supporter. They stood up Friend and they, confident. they said, fuck yes, I've got a sting. And they sent an email titled, best produced tightest sting ever. And this is what it contained. Elections <laughs> generally not that funny. There's too much politics going on at the moment. Don't blame me. I voted for Kodos. Go! <laughs> mm-hmm. It's, it's pretty, pretty good. good. I like I like. Thanks, it. Aiden. Some, Thank you very much for the sting. Yeah, love uh, it. If you listen to have an idea for an election section sting, send them in. We'll play as Hit many it. as we can. It's but true. noon. What what are we talking about in the election section? I mean, we could have like a vote for which was the best one. That's kind of meta. We don't need to pitch people against each other. We can just celebrate the abundance of stings All of them equally. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I want to talk about election funding, um which is kind of the opposite of mean girls shit. Um a little yeah. bit more material. Yeah. Less funny as well. Um, And a lot of my research for this came from a very good article in the Saturday paper from Hannah Ryan. Um, They said this. Each February, the Electoral Commission publishes a huge set of disclosures from political parties, uh, closely associated companies and unions, donors and campaigns, setting off a flurry of news articles announcing who the biggest donors were. What the focus on the top donors and donations can obscure, however, is how little the annual data actually tells voters. Um, the ones that are the big headline donations are often not the biggest donations. They're just the ones that didn't hide it, Mm. says Australian politics researcher Lindy Edwards. Yeah, and so this happened this week, this, like, yearly February release, and so there's been a bunch of articles about it, and as Ryan says, um, mostly it's like, this is the biggest donation! Um, and, yeah, so I wanted to talk about a couple of the problems that this data has, and very briefly some proposed reforms. So, problem number one is that the data is old. So, from the Sydney Morning Herald, the latest figures published by the Electoral Commission cover only the year to the end of June 2021. If a donation was made to a party on July 1st or any time since, it won't be disclosed until February next year, more than eight months after the election. Donations made directly to specific individuals um, uh, published almost six months after the polling day. So, Stuff to parties gets disclosed eight months later. Stuff to individuals six months later. And so that means if there's electoral finance crime, it only gets, like, disclosed, let alone reported or prosecuted after the election is, like, well and truly settled, Mm. which means there's almost no accountability if there is crime going on. So that's one issue with this stuff. Problem two is that the data is both vague 
and extremely sus. Uh, not in the sense that like the AEC is cooking the information or whatever, but the what they're reporting on is sus as fuck. Mm-hmm. So Zach, you, you probably remember we've talked about the government's climate plan, which involves several aspects, which are all kind of synonymous but mean nothing. So mm. like future tech, future innovations, other future innovations. Um, political donation reporting is similar. So the main categories are declared donations. So that's the ones we know about. Secret donations and other receipts. Um, <laughs> and each of these categories has their own, quote, constellation of loopholes, as Hannah Ryan put it, which is a great line. Mm. Um, and she said, in the past financial year, political parties took in $177 million. For the major parties, however, declared donations made up only 9% of their income. Yeah. Um, and that Stock 9% money. is still shady. Yeah, so this is not the dark money. This yeah. is the light money. Sorry, um, 91% but it, dark money. Right, right. Um, but it's still shady because a lot of it comes from these associated entities, which is the Australian equivalent of PACs. Mm. Uh, you know what they are? Or do you want to tell the audience? Uh, it's essentially like a openly partisan funding collective that yep. gets money for political parties. Yeah, exactly. They they announce we're on the side of the liberals or Labour or whatever, yeah, and then and do we're a ho- bunch of we're shit hosting to get a the money. big fundraising dinner where you pay one hundred thousand dollars to shake Kerry Stokes's hand or some shit. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Take a and photo so, with them, alleged war hero Ben Robert Smith. Totally. Yeah. 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 These associated entities, I would say, range from merely mildly shady, like union fundraising, um, or on the sort of other side, the coalition quote investment vehicles that are like, oh, we don't take any donations. We're far too above board. All our income is from dividends of publicly traded companies. But like, where did the initial tens of millions of dollars come from that lets you pay out millions of dollars every couple of years? That's and a totally irrelevant question, Noon. Doesn't matter at all. They don't get donations. And that's all you have to report if you're <laughs> an associated entity. Um, yeah, so that's, I would say, the mildly shady end of things. The, the deeply fucking shady ones are just like blatantly, allegedly, Money laundering. Um, so these would be associated entry, uh, entities that, for example, accept membership fees, which are collected anonymously, but then get sent on to the party from this associated entity. So you're like, oh, we know exactly where the money came from. It's from the Cormac Foundation. And then like, hey, Cormac Foundation, where did you get your money from? And they're like, we don't well, know. the thing is, I <laughs> didn't have a glass of water there, but listeners, I hope you can imagine. I think I got, well, I got the point. I mean, I got, yeah. the, I got the actions. You get the visuals, yeah. 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 So then, by far the largest income for both major parties is exactly what you said, Zach. Dark money. This is somewhere between 40 and 70% of donations. Um, and they are dark because they're under $14,300, in which case there's no obligation to report. Um, oh, phew. Just that tiny little amount of money that couldn't... I wonder how many donations of almost exactly that amount both of those parties got. Right, right. So, exactly. And it's not just both parties, right? Because presumably, there's a lot of, you know, Kerry Stokeses or whoever out there donating $14,299 to each state branch, plus the feds, plus the organizing committee, plus the steering committee, and then to all of the candidates, and then doing the same thing on behalf of their businesses, and then their wife's business, and so on and so forth. But we literally just do not know. Um, Mm. Like, we we don't know. (laughs) And the remaining amount of income is, quote, 
other receipts, which is even more vague than it sounds. No, it's about as exactly vague as it sounds. <laughs> um, uh, so, for instance, selling tickets to a fundraiser can count as an other receipt, which is what you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So can membership fees, profits from selling, you know, a house or whatever, returns on investments. Um, and so what happens is the associated entities, again, similar to the the aggregated donations, they get dodgy income in the form of other receipts. They reported, oh, yeah, we got these other receipts. You know, someone came to our fundraiser. And then they give it as a declared donation, thus making it both appear more legitimate than it is mm. and also making it harder to trace where it came from. Beautiful. The system yeah. works. Yep. So this is a quote from Alice Drury, a senior lawyer at the Human Rights Law Center. As researchers, we can't say with confidence what an other receipt is for. It could be a membership fee, which is effectively a donation dressed up as something else. We don't know if it's rent, if it's dividends from shares. We don't know if it's shady other contributions that could have a corrupting influence. So that's cool. That's the problem. Um, And that's sort of what's been identified by these donation, uh, like revelations this february but of mm. course we've got several more months until the election and it doesn't count the last six months so we've got We're no idea how much money is actually going to be sloshing yeah. around at this election until much later and none of this even touches on fucking clive palmer um who has promised to spend more on an election than anyone ever has before in australian history which i could easily believe has already happened but yeah. like yeah anyway Briefly, before I wrap up, I thought I should at least mention some ideas for useful reforms. I'm not going to go into detail about these. There's, like, more stuff written about this. It's been a problem for a really long time. And the federal government is the worst in Australia. So, like, um, every other state and territory does better than the federal government. Same as our anti-corruption commissions. But anyway, so here's a few things. Uh, Caps on donations rather than just on reporting of donations. Caps on spending. I, it's illegal to spend more than blah dollars on an election campaign, so there's no point in illegally fundraising more than that. Um, disclosure threshold reduced. So it's about $1,000 in Victoria, one-fourteenth of the federal threshold. Yep. And real-time disclosure donation rather than releasing it all eight months later, which is, like, the most obvious and easy-to-do one. And here's a quote from Jeffrey Watson, who is some lawyer, who said... If I can get out of an Uber and be told within a minute or so, you know, be given a receipt, I just do not understand why it's now taking nine months or more for us to discover who's donating to political parties. So, I mean, I think he probably does understand. I think I, you and I both understand. I think Jeffrey I, I think the listener QC probably probably understands. understands. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a fair point. Yep. Uh, but anyway, I also it's... take his point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Rhetorically, sure. Rhetorically, Jeffrey, I'm with you. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think there's there's a couple of myths that circulate around Australia's political system. One of them is that, you know, we've got better, more accountability than mm. compared to, like, the United States, for example. And, Which you we know, absolutely fucking do. We do. That's a low... Bu- We're, like, 17th in the world for accountability and transparency. But it becomes... The, the world is bad. <laughs> the, it's extraordinarily low bar to clear. And it's not something to rest on our fucking laurels about no. at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... When you actually scratch under the surface, we're like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, I mean, America is a very bad yardstick to measure oneself against for any kind of uh, political integrity uh-huh. at uh-huh. all. So, yeah. Uh, don't believe everything you read. Believe everything you hear, though. Oh, yeah. 
It's illegal to lie on podcasts. So. <laughs> Uh, well, if we tell a lie, you'll find out about it when it gets publicly registered in 12 months. Yep, yeah, correct. Thank you, Noon, for taking us through that. Uh, now it's time for a little... Uh, so menu log delivery riders have won minimum rights and protections after the Fair Work Commission ruled that they were covered by the uh, Road Transport and Distribution Award, which is nice. the award awesome. that... Yeah, it's very good. Um, it's That's the award that applies to uh, some other delivery workers, like a lot of truck drivers, for example, great. fall under this award. Uh, so this is obviously great because food delivery workers in the gig economy mm-hmm. have been viciously exploited for years and years, earning less than the minimum wage, having no compensation for injury, mm-hmm. no leave, no rest breaks, none of that stuff that comes with, you know... Being, being employed. An employee. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so the thing about this ruling is, on that note, that it only applies to menu log riders because menu log delivery people are officially, at the moment, being considered as employees, as opposed to all the sham contracting that's still being done by, for example, Uber Eats, Deliveroo, gotcha. and basically every other ride delivery service in the industry. Right. Um, so this development, like menu log, basically, they're doing a trial at the moment uh, where they're like, what happens if we make our riders employees? Which, like, you know, <laughs> cool, I guess, that they're doing Why it. Why did you need to trial that? Employee, but yeah, it that is a good step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but this comes after, like, quite a bit of pressure um, from workers. Mm-hmm. There were several deaths of food delivery drivers that we've talked about previously on the show, uh, including one awful case where Uber Eats tried to claim that the rider wasn't working for them at the time, despite the fact that he was, like, actively taking deliveries when he was killed. Um, uh, and this specific Fair Work Commission decision was about which award the menu log riders would fall under. Because, yeah, this trial where uh, menu log has been treating its riders like employees has been mm-hmm. going on for a few months and, you know, ahead of basically plans to make this uh, a permanent arrangement. But there was a question, which award, which award would they fall under? under? Sure, sure. So what menu log wanted to do was develop a new award that would be specific to I of think course they did. To d- delivery riders or gig economy riders, which, yeah, of course they fucking did. But the Fair Work Commission ruled that no, riders actually fall under the existing award for delivery workers. You don't need to make up some new fucked category for them where you can take away their rights yep. uh, and then claim the PR victory of being the good delivery service. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is good news for the riders that are currently employed by Manulog because that road transport award is $1 an hour higher than like the minimum pay is $1 an hour higher than the miscellaneous award, which is the official term that menu log was uh, conducting the trial under. So like okay. the writers that work for them currently, they're going to see a pay bump. That's good. Um, and you know, this is a good win for this specific set of writers. It's great to see uh, an established union, like the transport workers mm-hmm. union who yeah, have, you know, really behind this. Uh, it's really good to see them in the corner of gig economy workers who obviously as we've talked about previously on the show, have struggled to get any kind of solid industrial representation because that's part of what companies love about the gig, gig workers. Economy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yep. Is that it makes it harder to organize. So yeah, you know, positivity corner, those it's, it's good positive stuff there, but obviously there is a long way to go, you know, before other food delivery workers get the same protections. It's also not necessarily guaranteed that Menulog is going to go with this road transport award sure. you know they, they've got opportunities to negotiate further to challenge this or change it yeah yeah exactly but look i think that we can say as it stands at the moment you know 
if you're that's gonna win. if you're gonna yeah. order the order from menu logs better than uber eats you know again cool we're talking low bars here australia better than america yeah yeah mm-hmm. uh but get it menu log workers fuck yeah nice oh and now it's time for a sting Say what you will about Pauline. Cory Bernardi's right about this. You know, one. you have to hand it to ISIS. I don't normally agree with Channel Seven. Well, I don't normally agree with Channel Seven, and this is a, a no exception, really. I guess <laughs> I, Prue McSween did an amazing tweet where I'm sorry. I, do you mean prunes McStewed? I did mean prunes McStewed. Thank you. Yes. No, yes. you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, prunes McStewed did you. an amazing tweet where she promoted. The Greens policy platform. Uh, it's a great example of at conservatives accidentally making socialist propaganda or yeah. at conservatives threatening us point. with a good time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. That, yeah, totally. Yeah. Uh, and so this is what the tweet said. A government alliance between Australian Labor and Greens will mean a tax on billionaires and big business, free childcare costing $280 billion, adding dental and mental health to Medicare and a social housing scheme. Uh, sounds great. But you'll be paying for it with higher taxes if you have a job. <laughs> I tried to read that as in tone of how she meant it as possible. <laughs> but this is just like... Like, we're, and just kind of waiting for the pin to drop. Like, yes, yeah. and... Oh, so you're saying if I'm unemployed, I didn't have to pay taxes. Cool. Yeah. Oh, shit. Dental and mental? Fuck yeah. <laughs> She didn't What's going say on free marijuana, prunes? but it sort of it heavily implied. implied. Yeah, yeah. Hey, prunes, bringing it. All right. So, who is this big brain genius political messenger? <laughs> um, this is really what I thought I wanted to do the broken clock about because you know she said this thing and it was good and true, um, even though she meant it badly. But I thought I'd just give a little roundup of some of prune Mc- uh, sorry prunes McStude's greatest pruny hits. Um, of of horrible things that she said. Uh, so she's a journalist and TV personality, i.e. reality TV show contestant. Um, and the details of her career are pretty unimportant, but I thought, yeah, a quick rundown of some of her greatest hits of public life, which, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. heads up, bunch of slurs and horrible racist shit coming up in the next mm, minute or yep. two. So if you don't feel like that, just skip on by. Yeah. So, uh, skip pause. All right. So, first up, she said that kids who are, quote, retarded shouldn't be in classrooms with, quote, normal kids. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh, She said Kevin Rudd was a psychopath. In 2017, she said this about Yasmin Abdel-Magid. She has fled the country and is blaming all of us. She says she's been betrayed by Australia and didn't feel safe in her own country. Well, actually, she might have been right there. She might have been right there. Because if I had seen her, I would have been tempted to run her over, mate. So that's obviously, a cool, that's cool thing for an awesome a public commentator to say. Yeah, on TV, this one is really horrible, uh, worse than the others. But um, in twenty eighteen, she said this on air: "Just like the first stolen generation, where a lot of children were taken because it was their well-being. Oh God, we need to do it again." Yeah, I remember this. Yeah, and she and her co-host and Channel 7 all got sued by the people they were talking about, like the particular indigenous group that they were mm. reporting on in this segment, and paid out an undisclosed amount to them. And they were also forced to apologize, which was the most weak shit apology uh, I've seen for a long time. They put up 
an image of the apology on the show at 6.47 a.m. once. Um, and none of the people who said these horrible things or were actually on ever air actually said any it. kind of apology. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. they're not sorry, they're enormous fucking racists. And that's Correct. what their job is, to say yes. racist stuff. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll link a Media Watch episode about the Stolen Generation thing in the show notes so you can get a little bit more of that nauseatingly bad situation. But just to round it off, here's another little quote from Wikipedia. Uh, McStude has also attracted media attention for comments made on Nine's morning program Today Extra, including about Australian Greens MP Adam Bant, whom she described as a little flea and a danger to the community and i suspect a danger to his wife and about what? australian tennis player nick kyrgios who she described as quote a spoiled little greek brat a little creep who should have been slapped as a child jesus christ like what the actual fuck prunes i mean this is literally this is what she gets paid to do yeah you know more Racism for the racism factory. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, Jesus Christ. What an awful, horrible person. Just really bad. Yeah. Weirdly, she seems to have written a very nice, loving biography of her friend who was a trans woman and drag artist. Um, which, like, doesn't mean that she's not a horrible no, fucking I mean, racist. It doesn't seem it's in just... character. No, it just, I thought that was an interesting side note that I discovered, and I was like, huh. Not what I had on my prunes McStewed bingo. Mm. Um, but well, I mean, she was also right about the positive impacts of Green's policy. That's true. Broken so, clock is right twice yeah. in a public career spanning many decades. Oh, yeah. Jesus. Ah, uh, let's never talk about her again. Great. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, well, on that note, let's um move on now. Let's talk about our. First Nations story for this week, and I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to butcher the pronunciation of many of the uh, place names in this story, but I'm uh, doing my best. Um, But I want to talk about the fact that this week, Omicron has been entering remote Aboriginal communities, especially in Central Australia, and 90% of people hospitalized with COVID in the Northern Territory at the moment are Aboriginal. And we need to talk about how this happened. Uh, so, Indigenous communities say that this was preventable. They say that they provided advice mm-hmm. to the government and were ignored, and this is a pattern that we have seen, I mean, obviously, since colonization, but, mm-hmm, it, you know, mm-hmm. specifically when it comes to COVID. Yeah, definitely. The same thing in Wilcania. Exactly. Here's a quote from a letter uh, written by a coalition of Indigenous groups. The Central Land Council, the Congress Aboriginal Health Service, and the Aboriginal Medical Services Alliance Northern Territory. This is a letter that they wrote to the uh, leader of the Northern Territory government, which they have a different name for the NT. Chief Minister, I think. Chief Minister. This is our last chance. We have been advocating continuously for firm action to slow the outbreak since it began in the early days of 2022. However, our requests have been ignored or action taken too late or on too small a scale to make a real difference. There has been a significant failure by government agencies in Central Australia to put into practice the plans agreed with your government before the outbreak. This has directly led to COVID spreading out of control in the Aboriginal communities of Central Australia and beyond. Uh, Here's a quote from The Guardian about that letter. 
The groups outlined a series of public health failures that they say have occurred, during, including slow contact tracing, the belated introduction of a mask mandate, and the failure to remove positive cases from crowded households. Mm-hmm. That last one there is something that we've touched on previously. Yeah. Uh, and we know that basically it's a huge reason for the heightened vulnerability of remote Indigenous communities to COVID. Here's a quote from an ABC article on that. Kalinda Griffiths, epidemiologist and Yaru woman, said Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander families, especially those living in remote and regional areas, were at risk of, quote, greater transmission because large family groups often lived under one roof. Ultimately, people are living closer together. There is a housing crisis in Australia within, within Aboriginal communities that really needs addressing, she said. This is the reason why we've been talking about the social determinants of health for 20 plus years. Um, with you know, and, and again, Noon, you mentioned Will Kenya, you know, an example of, of uh, an Indigenous community that dealt with one of the uh, worst per capita outbreaks of COVID in the country. The way that that was ultimately solved was that temporary housing was brought mm-hmm. in. People were able to isolate away from their families. Not so in uh, many of these remote communities in Central Australia at the moment. ABC reported on a woman trying to isolate while living in a two-room house with 12 other people. Mm. The Guardian reported on an elderly woman forced to sleep on the veranda and spend three days under a tree in order to safely isolate from her family. In the remote community of Palumpa, more than 20 people are isolating in an office block, sharing 10 mattresses. These aren't problems that are being caused by COVID. No. You don't have 12 people in a house because COVID. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have no medical facilities in a community and thus forcing people to improvise one out of an office building because COVID. This right. is the result of systematic under, uh, ongoing under-resourcing of these communities. And, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you, you have a community that has only one shop. If a staff member gets COVID, the community has no access to food, mm-hmm. you know, or communities with massively under underfunded uh, health resources where vaccination rates are often less, uh, 20% less, you know, per capita than in other parts of the country. I mean, this is just, <laughs> it's not fucking rocket science. I came across a quote in a, uh, another ABC story about a town called Warakuna, which is near the kind of tri-state Western Australia, South Australia, Northern Territory border. Mm-hmm. Senior Sergeant Johnson said police had been working hard with Ngantiara Health Service to increase vaccination rates. We've provided food incentives, vouchers to the shop, he said. After the incentive, police noticed crime in the region decreased. It really reduced the amount wow. of trouble in community. Observing how busy the you shop was, say. the majority of people purchased good quality food, Senior Sergeant Johnson said. It was very much a win-win for everybody. Like, it's just... No fucking shit, man. We've known this for literally hundreds of years. I can't believe how much less people need to do crime if they just have what they need to live. Yep. And um, another ABC story that that I thought was illustrative of this, I've got another quote here. Mangache Yunupingu from the small community of Yirkala in East Arnhem said he entered Howard Springs quarantine facility on Sunday after he tested positive to COVID-19 at an Aboriginal hostel in Darwin. We've got non-stop food coming in, which is good in a way, but I'm not going to eat it all, he said. Mr. Yunupingu said that although he was grateful to be in the comfort of Howard Springs, a quarantine facility, 
He said he couldn't help compare his experience to his family's conditions in Yakala. I'm being treated like a king over here, and my family, they should be treated as something better than how they are living over there now, he said. I'm thinking I'd rather be out there than here, really. I mean, the, the idea that in a government quarantine facility, like the standard of living is better than just life out in these communities is, is a fucking disgrace. Mm. But, you know, it also points to how, like, achievable it is to improve the right. lives. Right, absolutely. Of, of, yeah, yeah, of these people in, these, in, you know, in poorer communities. It's, it's just how easily within reach it is mm-hmm. for our leaders. Just requires, like, literally any intention to do it at all. Exactly. So, yeah, I mean, this really needs to be a, a fucking wake-up call to state and federal mm-hmm. governments increasing the standard of living in these remote indigenous communities is a matter of life and death. It always has been, but doubly so during COVID. At the moment, yeah. And yeah, I mean, this should they should see this as an opportunity to take action on it, you know? Use this as, as an opportunity to marshal resources, get yep. them into these communities, and then maintain that level of resourcing and care, you know? It's, it's fucking doable. <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess the other major takeaway is that it's 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 another reminder about how dangerous it is to ignore, you know, the advice and requests from these communities mm-hmm. when it comes to their own well-being. I'm going to finish off here with a quote from an NITV article quoting Bajala academic Lyndon Riley. Government must listen with intent and act on advice from community health councils and health action teams, community groups, including men's and women's groups, justice groups and elder groups. The key is to listen and then urgently translate this advice into policy and action. I mean, I joked about it before, but like we see constantly on the show that the actual structure of government is carefully designed to prevent any kind of contact between the decision makers and the people they supposedly Mm. represent. You can't talk to your MP and if you can, they ignore what you want. And like, from their point of view, the only reason to meet with constituents is to get votes, not to try and develop policy or whatever. And, like, you know, if there was any will whatsoever to try and actually improve people's lives, they would be listening to experts all the time. But instead, they carefully ignore every recommendation. They send every possible action out to committee, forget about it, leave it in a drawer until more people die. And then they go, oh, well, we're already dealing with it. Yeah. 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 Our response is the best in the world. That was the chief minister's response. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, okay, but fuck you. Like that's still, even if that's true, that's it. Clearly it's not good enough. Yep. When you're looking at these results and yeah, ultimately not just on the immediate level of like these governments are in charge now and it's their responsibility to, you know, to, to manage the health of the population, like in a broad sense, this, the political and economic systems that, put mm-hmm. these communities in this incredibly vulnerable position is exactly the same system that put these governments in power. They yeah. have a fucking responsibility, a historical responsibility and a contemporary urgent one yeah. as well. Yeah. 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 That sucks. Um, should we move on to our last story, which also kind of sucks? Yeah. Fashy Australia. Yeah, so here we're going to wrap up the show with a little chat about City Point Christian College, you know, the CCC. CCC, not to be confused with the CCC or the PCCC, or as or you said, the, the CCCP. Yeah. CCP. Yeah. 
Yeah. So City Point Christian College is a private kindergarten to year 12 school in Brisbane, and they are extremely conservative with intense links to both the Liberal National Party and the Australian Christian Lobby, the details of which are fascinating, but not really the point of the story. I'm sure that you can imagine that they're fucking horrible. (laughs) It's really bad, yeah. I'll I'll put a link in the show notes so you can go check that out, but um, it's a really good article. But it's not really the point of the news, which is that last week the CCC told the parents that they and the students had to sign a, quote, contract of enrollment, which said that they would agree with the school's declaration of faith. Um, and from the Brisbane Times, the contract states that the college would enroll students only on the basis of the gender that corresponds with their biological sex and that families who did not agree to these fundamental doctrinal precepts could be excluded from the school. We believe that any form of sexual immorality, including but not limited to adultery, fornication, homosexual acts, bisexual acts, bestiality, incest, pedophilia, and pornography, is sinful and offensive to God and is destructive to human relationships and society. What we fucking hold fast... year is it? Right. Yeah, you and fucking liberal MPs both want to know that. But, um... Uh, we hold fast the biblical and church historical belief that a family begins with... Con- covenantal institution and holy estate of marriage is ordained by God between a biological man husband and a biological woman wife mutually and exclusively entered into only for life and that God intends sexual intimacy to only occur between a man and a woman who are married to each other you know conservatives like to complain about oh there's all this new language it's so confusing and hard to pass I'm like Marriage only exists between a husband man. A biological, biological man husband in this man. covenantal institution. Gee, and like, yeah. yeah. And look, I've just been reading the Bible again uh, recently, this week. I've nearly finished Genesis. There is a lot of sleeping around. And Jesus specifically says, love thy neighbor and love thy God, and that shall be the whole of the law. That's why Christians eat pork. So there's nothing in there about marriage. That was because... Paul was a nerd. Anyway, okay, it's fine. It's not the point of the show. <laughs> Unsurprisingly, there's a big backlash about this contract, uh, and the principal From one biblical passed, scholars, I'm guessing. Yeah, mainly. One pastor, Brian Mullerin, said that this didn't mean that they would exclude queer kids. It's unclear how that just that they have the lines right up. to do it. <laughs> well. Just because we've explicitly gotten you to sign a contract saying that we saying could that do, we this can to do this to you, doesn't mean we're going to do this. We to would you. never do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, the Queensland Human Rights Commission said that a school policy that requires trans or de- gender diverse young person to be treated as their sex assigned at birth, or that requires a young person to hide or deny their sexuality, is likely to amount to unlawful discrimination. Schools cannot contract out of their duties under discrimination laws by asking parents or students to agree to discriminatory terms. So, it would be illegal even if they signed it. Like, it doesn't actually mean that they can do it. It's got a certain um, sovereign citizen energy to it. it of like, it doesn't I've written not. a contract saying here that I am legally allowed to discriminate against you, so if you could just sign here... If you don't respond in 28 days... You uh, owe me 180 trillion pounds of exactly. gold bullion. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, so on the second of this month, uh, the school facing this backlash um, extended the date that parents had to sign by. That was their like, oh, don't worry, guys. Oh. <laughs> it's not a big deal. <laughs> nice we'll compromise. Give you a couple of weeks. Because it, was, it had to be signed by Monday because school was starting. And they were like, just 
make sure that you only agree to have sex between a man and a woman who are married so that you can come to creche on Monday. But like, um, so like, don't worry, it won't come up now. But the way that they announced that was via a, a shitty video of the principal speaking to parents being like, of course, we've spoken to all of our parents and they do agree that Christian faith is blah, 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 blah. I wanted to get you to clip some of it, but it was extremely boring. Ah, okay. um, so, yeah. All right, then the next day... It. I also, we don't third, need to hear any of these people actually no, open their fucking meat flaps. Yeah. Correct, yeah. Uh, then the next day on the third, they said that no one would have to sign the contract, but basically they still think all of those things and legally they were just exercising religious freedom. Um, but then you don't have to sign it. Um, the Guardian says that by this point, dozens had, of families had already withdrawn their enrollments from the school. And then uh, on the evening of uh, Friday the 4th, Brian Mulleran resigned, and he said he would, quote, stand aside and take extended leave in order to reflect on what has transpired and provide the college community time to heal. You take extended leave in order to eat extended shit? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Brian. And there are people trying to get Why him, like, defrocked and shit. Yeah, man. Yeah. Seriously. It's not even a biblical name, as far as I know. That's a Monty Python joke. Um, yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> one. thanks but yeah look like that's the news and technically that all ended as well as it could with him no longer employed and the contract no longer happening but yeah and the bigotry just staying informal and that's right unreported. yeah 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 oh and of course like a huge amount of stuff about kids being bullied for being queer came out and there was also some sick activism from queer kids and alumni coming back oh. to the school in like rainbow outfits and shit so like fuck yeah some cool things uh, came of it but that's good to hear on the whole a horrible story and i just wanted to finish up by like tying this into a more general horrible story which is that this is exactly the kind of thing that we all knew would happen when the religious freedom bill gets through they just um, kind of so, jumped the gun a little bit they really should have waited seriously yeah, yeah. until so, so, it got passed which it will because labor is in favor of it well maybe like this event has kind of changed it because last year mullerin gave a powerpoint presentation to the teaching staff at the school about the religious freedom bill and how they were going to take advantage of it and oh, made them all hell. pray with him that every single one of these points would be enacted at their school in 2022 amazing um Jesus but yeah they Christ. went a little hard a little early um and then throughout he this literally entire just could, like he got too excited to yep. discriminate against queer children that you yep. couldn't wait until it was legal and to jump that yeah oh god the inside yeah, of this guy's brain must be so horrible as i mentioned throughout the entire week he and like the school which it seems like a lot of the announcements from the school are from brian but it's a bit hard to tell but they, they both were saying that the contract was quote a legitimate exercise in religious freedom um and like it just draws this straight one-to-one -one line between like this bill is cool let's actively discriminate against gay and trans people um it's an extremely and direct example of exactly as you say noon exactly what people said would happen like this is just this bill and, is a license for people to discriminate and be huge bigots <laughs> and its supporters were like yes it is Oh, no, they weren't. They were like, no, this won't actually allow us to do anything different. No, it's sorry, just I mean, behind NPCs. closed doors, they're like, 
Great. So we're now going to be able to legally discriminate, and here's my right. PowerPoint presentation on how on we're going to do that. Here's my 10-point plan. Yep. Yeah. So even Scott Morrison came out against City Point this week um, and this contract business, and he said that the religious freedom bill will be amended, Um, which, again... So it'll only get passed into law a week later? Is that what you're telling me? Yeah, pretty much. Well, it'll be slightly vaguer where it says you can definitely discriminate against queer kids. Um, Hopefully it gets buried entirely, because this is exactly the kind of public outrage that could actually prompt Labour to vote against something. Mm. Yeah. because obviously they have a very short-term sense of what might be good for them, but, like, something happened. So, like, fingers crossed they, you know... I don't think they're going to say anything about it, uh, but hopefully if it comes up, they just don't. So. Yeah, we'll see. I don't know. They're, they're definitely still publicly in support of it, last I've right. heard. I haven't looked right. into it a hu- in a huge amount of detail, but... Last two days or whatever, yeah. Yeah, but mm. we'll definitely keep an eye on that. Yep. We shall see. I'm sure there are listeners better informed than us on the issue as well. So yeah. if you have thoughts... Please send us in a potluck. Potluck. Um, we would love that. Uh, actually, why don't you hit that sting for the end of the show and then we can t- talk about potlucks. <laughs> okay. Potluck, where you bring the snacks. No, I mean the end of the show outro where we talk about how people should contact us, send us emails, for example, potlucks, or if they want to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Oh, this section or, where or we never talk about potlucks? Yeah, yeah no Spotify. worries. Absolutely. We've definitely... If you want a podcast, you gotta do a lot of shit. It's not technically podcasting, you still gotta do that shit. I'm amazed that up until now in our podcasting career, you've never cut me off with a sting as a joke before. Oh, I so. have. Oh. Yeah. I feel like I've done it. I do it a number of times. <laughs> oh. No, I'm but sad I'm, I don't remember I'm them. glad that I'm, it feels fresh every time. <laughs> listen, is, we would love for you to get involved with the show, for example, by sending us a potluck, which is a recording of you talking on your phone for about a minute uh, about whatever you want. Ozpol homophobic christian schools memes that didn't get enough attention let us know what you're thinking about dingo related research you can also send us a a a review over an apple podcast you a rating and a review we like it we'll read it out on the show uh you can review us on spotify now that's a new thing and we'd love it if you did that please share us on social media we post on every social media when we do a thing and so you know facebook instagram twitter I think those are the ones that we have that, at Ospol Snack Pod. And Patreon also. Support us with your dollars. Snack Pod. Uh, financial uh, support for us. We use it to pay our transcribers so that you can read the episodes instead of listening to them. So if you're hearing impaired or deaf or don't like listening to podcasts, go to ospolsnackpod.com and read the transcripts of the episodes. Now it's time for... What's up with uh, Big Bagel this week? I was just going to say, this is consistently the best part of our, like, outline of what we're going to do for each segment of the show, because it's always a couple of, like, random words that Zach and I have scribbled to, like, what we're going to talk about. (laughs) Whereas everything else, we write actual notes, but, you know, there's just, like, a couple of words of, like, you know, stinky boy... Hot Dirty foots. feet. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but this week, my one word reminder is snuggles. Um, because bagels are loud on my bed. But 
he often doesn't, not when I'm on there, he needs permission to get up if I'm on there. But if I'm not, he can go sleep there, it's fine. And so what happens is in the middle of the night, I'll get up, go to the toilet, come back into my room, and he will be curled adorably at the foot of my bed with this, like, Ooh, am I allowed, am I allowed to allowed? be sleeping here? <laughs> permission I'm granted. just a snoozy bagel, being a good boy. And every time I'm like, that's adorable. I will get into bed really carefully and delicately around you so as to not disturb you. Just snuggle in. Mm-mm-mm. Yeah, snoozing with my dog. And then, like, four seconds later, he gets off the bed and goes back to his box. And I'm like, fucking like, damn yeah, it, man. I like, was what, enjoying what was that bullshit? having this bed to myself. You've come and fucked it up. Oh, Dante does that all the time. It's so rude. He's, like, but... He's, they sit on the couch next to him. He's like... Mm. Oh, well, that's how it is. Yeah. is it? <laughs> I was nowhere near you, bro. <laughs> but what I was going to say was, I think it's mainly a temperature thing because last week it's been a bit chillier, and I've been getting back into bed, and he's just been like curling up closer to my knees. Uh, so that's been a very nice, you know, it's a little bit heartbreaking when your dog is like, oh, "Fuck off, Dad." Um, <laughs> so you know, it, it's nice. That yeah, the weather it is never the main gets factor. less painful. Yeah. Or more adorable when they do want a little snuggle. Yeah, true that. Isn't there a mistake? Yeah. How about, how about your boy? Um. Well, he got into the bin again. Um, oh no. To the to the little compost bin in the kitchen with food scraps. Um. While I had a friend over for dinner, and normally this is something that Dante does when we're out. Sure. It's not a behavior that he does when we're in the house because he knows that he's he not knows allowed to fucking it's do naughty. it. Yeah. Um. But this, he did it while I was just in the other room, and he did it obviously very quietly because I didn't notice it happening until I walked into the kitchen and found the compost bin sitting on the floor but upright and empty where it Uh had been full to overflowing. Um, My bad. And the floor (laughs) around it was clean as well. And normally, as you can imagine, like it's up on a bench. So it's like normally the process for Dante is to get up there, knock it off, and get knock shit it over, everywhere. crashes everywhere. Yeah, you know, pick up the most disgusting bits and eat them, and then leave the rest for me to clean up when I get home. Perfect. Not even good enough to eat the whole thing. In, yes. Somehow he got the fucking bin off the counter onto the floor <laughs> and opened the lid. It's got like a lid that clips on. Got the lid off and ate everything inside without making a mess at all. And like on the one hand, that's a I'm, big improvement. It's, look, I'm very impressed, but and uh, my theory for why it was so neat is because I was home, and he knew that if he made any he, noise, if he had to, he had to be like on his A game. Seriously, yeah. so he must have like gotten up on the counter on his fucking hind legs, bitten the bin, and very carefully lowered it to the floor, like snooted open the lid, and like clicked it off its hinges. And then just very quietly and slowly munched his way through the compost, which included like a large chunk of moldy sourdough and a bunch of other stuff. It just, you know, he was shitting weird for days because obviously, you know, like his mouth is definitely way bigger, way more. His mouth is constantly writing checks that his ass can't can't cash. cash. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Because the friend I was with is like, Oh, it's fine. a bit of compost, no big deal. And I was like, are you kidding me? He's going to be fucked up for days. He is currently. Like a solid thirty to forty percent <laughs> compost right now. <laughs> like seriously, and I think because I mean because he's obviously a scrappy, cheeky bastard. People yeah. have this impression of like, oh, he's just a garbage guts, and he just goes, it's whatever. But no, he loves to eat disgusting shit, but he can't handle it. Yeah, it's and like it's me like, and chili, bro. I, I, w- I wish you would just pick one. <laughs> you know. Yep. 
wouldn't mind if you ate trash if you could handle it, but clearly your little princess petal stomach isn't up to the task. Anyway, uh, that's my pup date for this week. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. It was a in. long one, as predicted. Um, hope you enjoyed it. Yeah. We enjoy you. We do. And uh, we'll catch you next week. But in the meantime, keep on snacking in the free world. Being healthy brings happy heart and beauty. Nah. Nah. Nope. Uh, let's go fuck Richard Colbeck, Crunch Crunch. Hey. Let's go fuck Christian. <laughs> you heard me. Okay, all right. I did.